Osiris. mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you're needed. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Shields, and I have with me today Mitch Lucas. Mitch has been on the show before. He's he's going to be a part of the uh, Welcome to the Party Pal team, which is I couldn't be more excited about. Uh, filmmaker, film enthusiast, enthusiast, and just all-around great guy. Mitch, welcome uh, welcome back. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm back to Brooklyn again. No, well, you're welcome here anytime. And I'm glad to know you're going to be coming back to Brooklyn more and more. So today we got uh, this. This is I'm, I've been looking forward to this one, to this film coming out and then uh, to talking about it. We're talking about The Irishman, the 2019 American epic crime film directed and produced by Martin Scorsese and written by Steve um, Zalini. Zalini. Zion. Zion. Yeah. It stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci with Ray Romano, Bobby Carnavale, Anna Paquin. I could literally go on and on when we're talking about that. The film follows Frank the Irishman Sharon. That's, uh, that's Robert De Niro, a truck driver and hitman who gets, who gets involved with um, the Buffalino, uh, Buffalino crime family. And, uh, and, and then he, his, it, everything steers him towards the... Uh, legendary teamster jimmy hoffa so um yeah i uh i thought the film was something something special what do you think i was really blown away yeah um you know i had an experience that few people will get a chance to have because i saw it at the blasco broadway theater oh wow yes didn't they have like um i just had to adjust my mic there didn't they have like a setup uh like telephone booths and like they they, there was a whole thing behind it right yeah it felt like an old school time going to the movies they yeah. they had uh they had show cards oh nice uh, so that you could pick them up and take with you with like photos from behind the scenes i think once one side had behind the scenes the other side had a still from the movie yep i picked up every single one of those they did have telephone booths in the downstairs lobby yep. where one was pesci said pesci on the top one said scorsese uh-huh. uh and uh New York Times was there asking me questions. Oh, cool! So, was I, it like the first weekend you saw? It, it was the it was the second day. Okay, came yeah, out. yeah, yeah. So, wow. it, it, it was, there was a lot of excitement in the air. Uh, in terms of the film, I mean, you're you're glued. It's you yeah. could have kept you going for a while. Yeah, you know, there's so much said about the length of the film, and um, I, you know, I, sure you could have cut it and made made it, you know, less. It was it was. The pacing was such that, you know, you could have cut it out and still kept a riveting movie. But I was engaged the whole time. It was, it was, it, it, you know, why not? It was, it was perfect cinema was being created and I was there for it. Yeah, I think if you're, the pacing of the film was such that you're taking your time no matter what. So yeah. if you're going to have scenes that really breathe, why make a two hour film? You know, yep. just go ahead and I think working with Netflix afforded him the opportunity to make the film as long as he wanted sure. and really create what he wanted to. There was creative freedom yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, I, he knew, he probably knew going in that he was making a compromise as to whether or not it was going to get a wide yeah. release. Yeah. And 
the the upside there was that he probably had full reign to really. Yeah, that's one thing, and I know we're going to touch on it, and I want to discuss at some point a little bit about directors working with Netflix and and the problems with releasing it, but the fact that they do give creative control, and not only that, um, money. This was one of his biggest budgets he's ever worked with. I think it was uh, it was one hundred fifty nine million, and like so, he was able to really create the um, the film he wanted. Um, and something with that pacing, uh, it, it, to me, I kept thinking about you know obviously this is um, the gang that Martin puts together and, and has shot movies with. Uh, this felt like a more mature look at um, what they did. I feel like it was a slower movie because it was also coming from an older perspective and there was it was less showy and and more um contemplative in a lot of ways i think what i what i feel about this is that when you talk about editing or on the surface the frenetic energy yeah. is more restrained i think the tone is still goodfellas to me yeah <laughs> yeah i think the first frame of the movie i felt like i was right back right in back goodfellas. in it so yeah i i think for me um yes, definitely definitely more restraint in terms of how images hit you. Sure. Pacing. Um, but that world is he hasn't lost his ability to take us to this place that's sort of I would call it like Scorsese land. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not It is perfect. Uh, you know, you look at Goodfellas and sometimes you can't you assume it's the sixties or the seventies, mm-hmm. but you know you're in you just know you're in Scorsese land. Yeah. And he took yeah. you there in this one as yeah. well. No, and, and, and I think that's so magical. I think the only thing I would say um, to add to that is that the final act, and obviously spoilers, and, and I'm, I'm okay with just going you know, to that place, that, that it was really intense, and it did. I felt like it had a slower down curve and, um, as he prepared for his death. And, and even before that, I mean, the film kind of climaxes that second act where, you know, ends up with Hoffa dead. And then, you know, the fallout seemed to take its time in a big way. I mean, it was almost as if the characters were haunted by not just old age, but kind of the, and not even regret, because you saw how Pesci reacted to, you know, it was us or him type attitude, but reconciling with with the fallout and, and who they are and what they've done. Yes, and what's so, I would say, eerie and complex about that third act is that you never are really it isn't it isn't written out how he feels about the past yeah it's very yeah it's ambiguous you have to look deeply into his eyes and you aren't sure if there's anything there yeah it's a little scary to because i i think he plays it so well to not tell the audience whether he's regretful or whether he's sorrowful Mm -hmm. or whether he's not you're just looking at the actions. It's a day in life, a week in the life of this guy, you know, picking his own coffin. Yeah. And, and it's not so <laughs> From much From Action about, Bronson, by the way. I don't know if you know hip-hop. The guy with the beard. He's a famous yeah. hip-hop, right? Action Bronson, yeah. I thought he was... I, I had some... I thought he was the uh, food... Fucking delicious. He is. He's both. Oh, yeah. No. Totally. He is. He's the vice uh, fucking delicious guy, and he's he's um he's a hip hop. Uh, he's he's very good actually. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right. You just hit on something I really want to talk about, and um, the the daughter. It's a big thing that goes on throughout the whole thing. Um, uh, uh Frank's daughter definitely has problems with them, and I believe it's because, I mean. Obviously, she sees what he does and doesn't approve. But I mean, he kind of alluded to we don't know if if like what's going if there is regret. I believe she sees them as as morally unconscious and dead on the inside in a lot of ways. And I think she's so important um, not only because it makes you question his regrets or anything like that, but I think her eyes are like the film's judgment. It, she what she sees, and she's, a lot of times when she's younger, she doesn't even. It's just her eyes reacting and and. Those those eyes are, are kind of you know they're the ones looking down at them. They're the conscience of that's, the film. That's a great uh, yeah. thought and a great point to it. Um, as a as a viewer, anytime you're on uh, Frank Sheeran's side and you see her looking <laughs> in the distance, you are you yeah. feel like you're <laughs> you do absolutely an, a subversive sense of guilt. She, she's kind of like the right to the wrong, and and just I mean every time that she's 
um, her character is employed is I always hate that word a little bit to use, but like it, it's 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 for when he's packing up or when you know I mean first off right when she blatantly sees him do something, but then um, yeah, and even her appreciation of, of Hoffa was fascinating because. I mean, she saw that there was some good and, and, and some purpose yeah. to him. Another place where that plays out very well and comedically is when Joe Pesci, there at the bowling alley, and he's trying to win her over yeah. with a very simple <laughs> gift. And then it's, and she doesn't take, she doesn't care too much about the gift. Nope. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to tell a joke, which was one of the funniest parts it of was. the movie. Absolutely. You'll have to see the movie. To yeah, we're going to let that one go. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't work. No. And that's that's a perfect she sees she's it very much is she sees the you know how morally bankrupt she knows she knows exactly who who she's talking to that that was a very fascinating uh part of the movie and 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 the younger version uh of her character is just as convincing as as anna paquin absolutely yeah they're seamless absolutely yeah no that that flows and right away the first um the first scene, you know, where he reacts to her getting pushed, it's like, it's one of those things I'm like, wow, this is, they're going to lean on this. This is going to be something that daughter yeah. has, has a big role in this. So to kind of like pull back a little bit, I, I, I was, I kept having this weird feeling and we're watching a story that's supposedly true. I mean, this is, um, this is the films also kind of known as the title, the on-screen title shot was, I heard you, uh, paint houses. Cause yeah. this is, a. Uh, it's a work of narrative nonfiction that is sourced from by homicide prosecutor, investigator, and defense attorney um, Charles Bratt, and that uh, that chronicles the life of Frank, the Irishman um, Sharon. And so, it's um, it's 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 I hate this comparison because it doesn't fully work, but I almost felt like it, Frank could have been acting as almost like the, like a Forrest Gump. Meaning you're you're going with Frank through all these moments in, in that history. I mean, you're taking to um, his role in like the Bay of Pigs in Cuba. I mean, he was pushing guns. He, he gave guns to E. Howard Hunt. You were taking into um, just the rise of Hoffa and then even the Nashville trials of Hoffa. You were taking into the uh, Copacabana. You were taking, you know, they, they experienced JFK's assassination. So you hit all these moments in history, but through their angle, which I thought was really cool. And, and if you're into history and enjoy history this is this, that that's a fascinating aspect as well yeah well just one side back to what you were talking about with the Please. initial flashcards uh he's he does those so well and yeah. he's he's there with uh his use of of odd titles odd juxtapositions mm-hmm. and just using titles is he's up there with tarantino in terms of how yeah. they build out chapters or yeah. they just you know that i heard you paint houses there was no, there was no, based on the book. But it just, he just says it. And yep. You're not quite. It's, it's very bold and it's yeah. very unspecific. Yep. He doesn't lay it all out for you. It's just very visually stunning in the beginning Absolutely. of the film. And uh, it's very hard to make things like that work. It just shows how how, how great of a job he does with like putting together the collage of a movie. Yeah. Uh, going back to talking about how this, how this guy is in places in history. It's absolutely true. I mean. We, as a viewer, similar to Forrest Gump, maybe we maybe we don't know how much of it's true, and that's the yeah. beauty of this yeah. film. Yep. Um, there's a lot said about is this book true or did yeah. they, did there's a lot of controversy true? about the history, yeah. But as a person who loves seeing films, the fact that it may not be true makes it I don't know just yeah. as fun to me, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's been um, discredited. There was an uh, article in Slate by uh, Bill Tinoli and um, also the uh, Harvard Law School professor Jack Goldsmith has, um, has a piece called Jimmy Hoff from the Irishman, a true crime story that does um, differentiate from this. But I mean, I, I mean, I guess the biggest thing that was a little bit unsure was really what happened to Hoff at the end. Yeah. So many of the accounts of what Frank went through are substantiated and, and, um, and I, I, truly at the end of the day, um, I'm not sure I care. Um, I hope yeah. they did a good job getting it as right as they could. Yeah, uh, it's a fascinating tale, and, and and yeah, it's. I mean, I I'm not walking away like that's Bible of of Hoffa's rise and fall. Yeah. You know. Well, anytime you you're doing in the realm of biopics, yeah, there's 
sort of staying close to reality, but you also have to make a film, or you also yeah. have to <laughs> yeah. you have to be entertaining. You have to entertain. Yeah, yeah and there's there's certain um, uh, artistic, uh, you know, liberties liberties that you yeah. will make. Absolutely, and that's what and, makes and it I can only assume they they want to get it as as close to as right as they could, yeah. you know. And I'm and, and I know they leaned on on. Um, uh, Charles's book, but hey, just before we go too much further, just a reminder that we are part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris is a community of podcasts that uh, bring you closer to um, a whole bunch of things that you're into. I just wanted to point, uh, shine a light on, on a new thing they just put out. Today, Osiris Media released episode one, just today, of After Midnight. It's an original narrative podcast. At the end of the last millennium, Fish, the band Fish, who I love, built a city for 80,000 people in the Everglades for their big Cypress Festival in the midst of Y2K mania. You remember Y2K mania? I remember it. Yeah, yeah I lived through it. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild to think about. I mean, we really thought some crazy stuff was going to be happening, like planes yeah. falling out of the sky. No. We couldn't get money out of the bank. We were, yeah, we were out. You know, in New York City that night. Were you? Yeah. And yeah. We forgot that the world was supposed to it was supposed to end. We yeah, just exactly. Had bad hangover. Yeah, fun. I was down at this swamp where this was. So Fish created a sanctuary for fans far away from everything and wrapped up in the wrapped up the festival by playing a seven hour set that lasted from the final minutes of the 20th century into the literal dawn of the new millennium. Not only was Big Cypress the biggest millennium concert in the world, and there was a lot of big concerts that night. It also changed the way many people saw live music festivals. So after midnight, it um, uh, the, this podcast series, which just started, they'll be doing weekly drops. I think it will address the legacy of Big Cypress, along with planning, with along with all the planning and execution. It will feature interviews with band members, other crew, festival goers, and all that. I'm pumped for it. I listened to episode one today. It's great. Uh, when this. When me and Mitch wind down here, I'm actually going to play the trailer for it. So check that out. That's After Midnight. I actually saw it is listed um, today as one of the top podcasts. I think it was number three of all podcasts, which is really cool. Check that out. I'll, I'll put the trailer at the end of this. And let's get back to The Irishman. So I want, really want to talk about the acting just because uh, and I, I, I'd like to start with Pacino. Okay. And this was the first time that he worked with Scorsese. Yeah. Which is wild. <clears throat> and apparently they've known each other for a number of years, yep. wanting to work on something, uh, and, you know, had things going. Uh, oh, man, I can't remember. They were working on a biopic about a painter. Uh-huh. His name. I, I can't remember who the yeah. painter was. But yeah, but they, there was something maybe in the works. Triani, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it did not happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, he's he, he finally got a chance, and this was huge. I mean, this was yeah. like getting you're getting a lot of years yeah. yeah, I mean, he could have done three cameos over the years, or yep. you just wait for this big one. Wait for the big, it. big role. I thought he was terrific. It was a perfect role for him in a lot of ways, uh, especially because um, you've seen footage of Hoffa. I mean, he plays it as El Pacino. I gotta be honest. Yeah, well, 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 like, he does ham it up, but I mean, um, Hoffa was definitely a larger yeah. than life figure, too, who Absolutely. did ham it up. And, like, yes, yeah. he definitely plays it like Al Pacino, but I think it works in that way because, I mean, they're both, they both, the whole situation's over the top. Oh, yeah, absolutely. His, uh, you know, getting the audience riled up and his rah-rah and, yeah. and gestures yep. while he's doing his speeches were hilarious. Yep. And, you know, Al Pacino, he does so well with the nuances of conversation. Yeah. And he's in a scene with Stephen Graham in this prison scene, and he's constantly breaking up the energy, constantly holding a line, yeah. a beat, uh, you know, pulling back, yeah. talking quickly, and he, there's just a genius to how he works. Mm-hmm. And someone who does improv, and uh, where I believe comedy is so much in between, like it's just yeah. pacing. The spaces and, in between, yeah, yeah, or something, yeah. He does it so well, and there's just so much comedy that comes out just from batting an eyelash or just uh, saying something under his breath or whatever. Mm-hmm. My favorite line that he has in the entire movie was they, they came to visit him in prison, his lawyer, and they said, how's it going? He said, how's it going? It's terrible. If you, if you, you know, you, if you go to sleep, someone might kill you. Yeah. So, but he says it in yeah. the Al Pacino way Absolutely. that just takes about 10 seconds for him to get yeah. the, that, the 
short sentence out. You know? the, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Stephen Grant. The scenes with him and Stephen Grant um, are are amazing. And I'm yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say I am with Hoffa when it comes to punctuality. With punctuality, <laughs> oh my God. it's it's yeah. a big it's a big thing for him. And it's um, I've always looked at it. And of course, things happen in life. I mean, we live yeah. in a city where trains can can you, you can be as early as you want, and train will make you as late as it wants. But um, I've always kind of seen it as like you're respecting someone's time, and Yava really, really felt that. Provenzano had no, I mean, there was a right way and wrong way to handle it. He <laughs> yeah. did everything wrong to apologize for being late as yeah. well. I love, um, did, were, you a, were you a Boardwalk Empire fan? Well, you know, it's funny because I was a Boardwalk Empire fan, mm-hmm. but I actually, as a, I'm a motion designer, and I pitched for the original no design way. work yeah. of Boardwalk Empire. Huh. I used to work for HBO, and yep. I, I did a version of the billboard in the opening titles. I they need to see did that. Not, it did is not. That get something, is that something you can share? I'd love to see that. I will share. Yeah, it. it's you know I'm I'm very happy with what actually but, went but, up. But, but, but yeah, that has nothing to do with it. No, no, I bought a no. I need to know I, that. I was still, so but cool. I was still a fan of it, even though I didn't win. The, I, uh, I absolutely. It's to me. I I would argue that it's maybe the best cast ever. I just I'm blown away by that. And two, I bring it up because um, you know Stephen Graham played Al Capone, and then yes. um. Bobby Carnavale, who I just love to see in anything. Any anytime he's on the stage here yeah. in New York, I'm rushing out. I just I think he's a force of nature. Yeah. Um. And the Boardwalk Empire season three, when he's Jip Rossetti, that's like my favorite. Uh, he's 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 a whirlwind. He's a firecracker. It's intense. Yeah, and he's he's as intense in this. Yep. Stephen Grant, uh, he's goes back all the way back to uh, Shane Meadows films. Yeah. Um. The this is. This is England. Yep. Yeah. It's an amazing oh, film. Oh, yes, and it is. A terrifying he's, character he's in that Absolutely. Film. And oh, he wanted to work with Scorsese so bad. Did he? Yes. And yeah. he, you know, he'd worked with him on Gangs in New York. And as the story goes, you know, Scorsese, Scorsese would always tell him over the years, not this one, but we're getting there. Yeah. And he, and he you know, <laughs> no always way. Kept, yeah. yeah. And apparently they, he was on set for, uh, something he's working on and, or whatever he was shooting at the yep. time. They asked him to come in. He got on a, plane from you know England or something went to New York yeah. and hung out at Scorsese's house and had to wait upstairs while him he and De Niro talked wow and they were like well we'll we'll see it, it sounds good though and he said I can't go back not knowing yeah and De Niro said I'll, I'll let him tell you and then they totally <laughs> got it I love how much he wanted that he wants that, to be a part of this and that yeah that's one of the reasons I like him so much you just see a sincerity in him yeah. and he's doing the roles that he is excited about yep. and you know, he's he obviously leans into him. He's fierce. Yeah, it's he's, it's really he's he was he was a big part of this. Yeah, in a ma- major way. And um, we'd be remiss to talk about not talk about um, obviously De Niro and um, uh, Pesci. De Niro. Oh man, that's yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah. the whole podcast <laughs> but, 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 about but, Joe Pesci's but, but, performance. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's, let's start with Pesci then. Um, it's it's. Um, it's amazing. I mean, he pretty much stepped away from film work. Yeah. And this is him coming back. And we're talking not just yeah. stepped away for a couple couple no. of years. I mean, it's almost two decades where almost he has two decades where he's been a working actor. And he 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 came back in not missing a beat. It was so good as as a fan of it, you know, his work back in the day to to relish in his work again. I mean, it, it, it was amazing. Any any of the conversations that that go on about how this film is a more Restrained and more mature um, film in itself. I think Pesci's performance That's is the it. embodiment of that. He, yes, yeah. His he carried that. His yes. performance is the first thing that when someone says that, I think of him sitting, yeah, listening, yeah, and having a very short answer to everything. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, there was a patience there, and that in, in that patience, a power. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's. Yeah, let's stay on character. I was about to go. I was uh, let's stay on acting, but I was about to go to uh, to their characters' relationship, which is a very yeah. fascinating thing. But let me add one thing about Please. Joe Pesci. You think about the three uh, roles, I, not Raging Bull, but if you start with Goodfellas, yeah. Casino, and now The Irishman with mm-hmm. the, these three mob these films. Three, yep. Goodfellas, he's this high wire act. You can't you can't settle him down. Definitely. Right? Casino, he's not. He's still a high wire. He's act. still, he's, he's but he's not still so loose cannon at times. Yeah, he's a little bit more, a little bit more angry and a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
you know, he's a little bit more browbeaten, you know. Yeah. And in this one, you see the third act is just like, this is this is the end. Yeah. You know? I, I just like. To oh, that's see cool. That's no. There, 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 there's there's um there's like a, a a through line and also like a trilogy idea there. Um. So what did you think of Robert De Niro's performance and also the many faces and many incarnations of Robert yeah. De Niro? I mean, that's I mean, this movie probably couldn't. Um, be what it is or what it wanted to be without all the de-aging technology that we have now and all, even about the aging makeup and technology. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons they felt like having actors play younger versions of themselves is that they, I think that those three, Robert De Niro, Scorsese, Joe Pesci, mm-hmm. they know their heritage so well yeah. that they feel as though they're saying, how are these guys going to know about the music we listen to? I can I can let them hear it, yeah. but how's that going to seep into their blood? Yeah. And I think they felt very strongly that they wanted these characters to be fueled by people who have experience. Yep. And yep. so that, for whatever reason, maybe if I was making this film, I would have you know done yeah. it differently. Yep. But for whatever reason, he was he was very intent on finding a way. For these guys to play yeah. the different ages. I mean, we're talking about how uh, De Niro was as young as 24 and as old yeah. as 80. I mean, it was. It, I almost did have a snicker when he was yeah. at war. That was. Uh, I, that was. I, I really. And it was a really great scene too. I loved the, the voiceover there when he was talking about why would they keep digging, and I always wondered that. And I mean, I think he nailed it with the idea of the thinking. Maybe yeah. there's maybe there's a, a something optimistic to think about on the other side, but. That that, yeah. that one was a little harder yeah. to swallow, and that's but I th- not you know, taking anything away. I think it's important to remember with these effects that we aren't trying to make the young Robert De Niro from Taxi. Yeah. We're trying to make the young version of that of this, character. Of this character, yeah. And maybe that's how they decided to approach it. You're not going to get no. It's it's, it, it's up to it's up to you know what it's, it's I you gotta at some point and I guess the, just the idea is to suspend disbelief or just just, uh, just let it be yeah. I mean it's, it's, and I think it's, they accomplished that oh, yeah I think definitely it, I mean we just... even got a 39 year old Pacino at one point yeah I mean they, they was, <laughs> yeah. it was it's really cool actually it's just subtle enough to to not take you out of the story yep. I, I gotta be honest if I was gonna have a note about that I'd I'm not sure I was very aware what age they ever yeah. were. <laughs> yeah, yeah so that's true. That's I just true. stopped. It, yeah, no, there was there was a point where they were cross cutting a little bit, and I was just yeah. like, it, it it was it was almost. I mean, I knew when close. he was, I knew when he was at his about to to die, and yeah. I knew, and then I knew when he was a young kid just yep. learning the ropes. Yeah, but you you know that by plot. Yeah, yeah, I don't exactly. Think you, other than other Location than the far advanced age, yeah, you don't quite. I don't know that that's. That it really, you know, hindered or no. or just. Made I thought it was fun at the end of the day, and like, yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, I was. It's one, something for people to talk about yeah. that really has very little effect on the film to me. Yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It absolutely makes sense. So we talked about the people playing the roles. I just, I, I, I their interactions is something I thought was so um, uh, important to discuss, and their relationships, and also just. Um, I mean, kind of how Scorsese in the films you were talking about, about the Goodfellas Casino, kind of uh, makes us root for these guys and or allows yeah. us to root for these guys. And I was thinking about that a whole lot while watching it because th- these are some, as we've already discussed, morally bankrupt men, some evil guys, and 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 you know they, they're honestly to me they're, they're not really relatable at all. And to me, and, and I'm sure someone could find ways to relate to him. And usually, when I'm rooting for a character in a film or a story, and it, it, it takes some level of relatability right. for me to really go there. But he, time and again, has me rooting for these 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 awful men doing awful things. They're just relishing Absolutely. relishing in the sin, and it almost yeah. feels it feels good. But like when I think about it, when I get too heady with it, I feel a little bad. Well, when you see. Uh Frank in the beginning with this uh, stealing the stakes yeah. and every time he comes back there's fewer and fewer stakes. Yep. I mean, you're gonna be on board with that. It's <laughs> yeah, a, it's a comedian, day. it's a joke. Yeah, so absolutely. that's what I think that's what the magic of the story is. You get you get on board with some of the fun stuff yep. 
And then when the really dark stuff happens, you're you're already invested. And totally. Now you feel like you know this guy. You feel like you you enjoyed some, you know, you've had the humor. So now you're in it with them, and there's something that bonds you. Yeah, and I I mean I also think so. There's that one side of the coin where you're relishing in the sin, yeah. but the fallout that 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 always seems to come. I mean the the spoils of the. I mean, you're, 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 you're relishing in the delight and the spoils of the sin, of course, but then you also have to deal with the fallout of it. And, and you know, yeah, exactly. They, they, you know, the, the truth of what the consequences are, it, it's, it's, he doesn't leave that out of it. It's not just, you know. No, and it's a long fall in this it's it, it, That's what I was saying about like pacing, which I loved it. I was, I was there for that, but the, uh, the, the, the. That third act really was, it was like they were looking in the mirror and trying to figure it all out. And, 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 and also during that fallout, I kept thinking about, and I think this is something they were really uh, trying to drive home a lot, was the idea of this male friendships, of especially between Frank and um, uh, Russell, right? Russell Buffalino. Yeah, because um, they had a friendship. Frank was protected a lot because of him. But and, and even in the end, when he he had him do the Hoffa situation instead of being taken out with Hoffa, I was wondering. I mean, is that is was that just a pure friendship, or was it like there was like an ownership of one over the other? There was I, there was a dynamic there. I think is worth discussing. I think the dynamic is what plays in every single one of his mobster films is that they can be like brothers, but they, you might still never know that this guy killed you. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know. Uh, when Henry Hill says they had been wise guys, I'd have never, I'd have never saw it coming. Yeah, I think that the same rings true the entire Absolutely. film. Yep. You you really do believe deeply that Russell is his father figure mm-hmm. and would do anything for him, and you also know that he might have him killed for some political bureaucratic reason yep. that he maybe doesn't understand. Doesn't even, yep. And it's happening through. Every, yeah, it's happened in every single one of his films in some respects. So it's that's what the terror is, and that's what. Joe Pesci's character was so effective at was not yeah. being able to know what lies beneath him. Absolutely. There's also a parallel that, um, um, or just kind of like a unique uh, situation too with the friendship between uh, Frank and Hoffa. I mean, yes. there, there's 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 a tie that binded there too, and 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 he did, even though we've you know touched many times on on. How you know dead on the inside or consciousless in a lot of ways. He struggled with it. He wanted to help him. He did want to help him. That was earnest. Yeah. Yeah, and he did everything, which is a line, which is a very common line in the film. Is we did everything we could. Everything we could. Yep, exactly. (laughs) It is what it is, and we did everything we could. But uh, at the end of the day, he fell in line with what was what wanted to do. Now, let me ask you a question because you said something that I hadn't quite thought about. You think that at one point Russell was going to have Frank killed? Uh, I I think he was trying to make sure that he wasn't killed. I think I think the powers that be would have had him killed within the Hoffa situation. He was basically uh, because of his alliance. Because, because of his he was alliance, so hard because to of his alliance. I don't think Russell would have would 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 have been responsible for that at all. But he I said think he you would have to, never let it happen. On you would have never let it happen if you weren't. It wasn't you. Or yeah, 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 right? exactly. I think, yeah, I think he, he kind of put his foot in that door to make sure that it didn't close on Frank. And Frank knew that it was always a possibility. Would he? Yeah. He yeah. gets in the car and like, oh, I'm not I'm getting not, in the back. I'm not sitting in the back. I'm was, getting in the back. You sit yeah. there. I'll sit with Those you. scenes are wild, driving around and just, you know, his son driving. I was thinking about the whole dynamic of everything. And then that whole sequence was bizarre. Bizarre. Man. And it, it was absolutely surreal in, in a way that, like, you're thinking about, and I think it's genius. I was thinking about each character's motives in the car. Like, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. As slow as some of the pacing during those really building scenes was, it was so thought provoking to me, and yeah. just, um, just, just uh, it's remarkable. Did you find any, um, you know, I think a lot of films that that you know you see in this, in set in a different time period, but uh, you know we're all influenced by what happens around us every single day. I was wondering if, and especially when you're talking about uh, a union guy and. Um, you know, I'm just talking about parallels till today. Or, or do you think any, this film 
was um, saying or nodding to anything that's happening currently or anything. I, I only I, I noticed like there was a couple points, but I was thinking about how how much Hoffa hated billionaires' kids and stuff <laughs> like that. And I, I think I overthink it because I, I you know I, I gosh myself a little political, but it it's as you start seeing a lot of like the. I think it was organic. I yeah, think that I think so too. I think those parallels happen because everything is cyclical, and, and you're gonna find you're gonna find nuances mm-hmm. in really every story you tell. Because there is, this is a story about power. Yeah. So the parallels are gonna be there. definitely, <laughs> and that's I mean throughout throughout all history. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that that was necessarily in their minds. Yep. But I mean, they started and, shooting in 2017. So yeah, and they were were working on it for ten years before. Yeah, yep. but ah, uh, yeah, these things come it's to ten, the surface. So uh, uh, these 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 fights for power tales all this time. I want to talk a little bit about um, movie magic yeah. for a second, because uh, I um, one thing that that's known is that they shot a lot around New York. Even when they were shooting in, even when they were in Detroit, they were in New York, okay, and they yeah. did that. So I was um, the other day. I was. Uh, I was working a gig. I was over at um, Broadway Stages in Glendale. I was uh, it was a production job. I actually got to interview Fifty Cent, which was really cool. That's, that's amazing. Um, but so there's a parking lot, and these stages they're get big, getting bigger over there. And and there's a big parking lot uh, next to two stages. And I was sitting there and watching when they drive at one point to an airport that um, where he takes the flight towards to go kill Hoffa. Yeah, he drops him off at the plane. Yeah. It's that parking lot. It's not an airstrip. Really? And it's like, you can see this. They just put like a thing on it. And, and then, then they put like a, a, a CGI, the just tower behind it. And yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there like, oh my God, that's that. Yeah. And I was just, I was just thinking about how they use all these different the movies are amazing. And just the shooting with the, 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 the location scouts and just these people who create this. I'm, I'm, the one that stuck out to me was Umberto's Clam House. Yeah. Um, it felt, I mean, I think they shot. In Little Italy, I'm pretty sure they did. Had to. Well, yeah. One of my one of my coworkers mm-hmm. did say that that was down in Lower East Side, yep. Little Italy, and I felt like I was back. Yeah. In that time in period, it. absolutely. You guys get yeah. to see crazy, crazy Joe, right? Yes. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean the that scene is probably my centerpiece favorite scene of the yeah. film. It's very terrifying. It's very freaky. Yep. And so as far as like. You know the word movie magic. I just—it's it, the same as when I was saying Scorsese land. Yes, yeah. He could shoot. He could have shot it in his apartment, all on green screen. He'd still he take you to he Scorsese land. Yeah, gone to the actual. Yeah. I, he just has a. There's just a nuance there. Yeah. Uh, that you know he has he has a thing that the, to build a world. Yep. And he's he's referencing the past. He's being as authentic as he can. Mm-hmm. He's also making it his own. And yep. I think that's the sense that I get from no his doubt. best stuff. Um, what do you think about the, them releasing it through Netflix? I mean, you do have this thing where major major change such as AMC, Cinemark, Regal, and um, Cineplex. I mean, they're pushing back on this idea. They uh, they they they're not into this four week because that's usually what they they offer this four week progression to streaming. Um, they find it unacceptable this idea. Um, you know, I I, I I go both ways a little bit. I. I, uh, you know, I think this needs to be seen in, in, in on the big screen. But I yeah. also we've already uh, mentioned, but it's it's I applaud Netflix um, ability to give artists, you know, creative control and, 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 and money to make these things. And, yeah. you know, things are changing. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I just how do you feel? Well, the two thoughts I have are one, I think it's a missed opportunity. Um, I understand that they want to set the the streaming date so far back that people don't feel like they can hold out for two weeks yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But to not come to an agreement is just the reason I think it's a missed opportunity is because I don't look this movie's gonna play yeah. on your television. Yeah. But it's not gonna play the way it played at the Blasco mm-hmm. Theater. And mm-hmm. I you it wouldn't have been playing at the Blasco Theater if it would have had a wide release. It would yeah. have been at your AMC yeah, sure. or yeah. wherever. Yeah. But it would have played at your favorite theater in your favorite mm-hmm. in your town and the theater you really want to go to yep. when you want to see the best movie it's going to be it would have played at you know I, where I grew up in Tennessee I could have seen this movie if it came out in where I was from I couldn't see this movie now yeah, yeah. I get to see this movie because I choose to live in New York City mm-hmm. and occasionally I get 
to see a movie like this. Not every, so few people are going to have that opportunity that it is a missed opportunity. Yeah. Now the other side of it is that uh, Martin Scorsese said there's a big problem with getting it exactly the way you want is you still have to have a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. Doing yeah. it the way we wanted equaled not having a movie. Yep. So his choice was to get the film made and yeah. then fight this fight. Once, fight the fight. Yeah. You know, cross that bridge when he came to it. He did the best he could. Yeah. Some people are going to get to see it in a theater the way it was meant to be seen. Mm-hmm. Some people will watch it on Netflix. Yeah. I think there's going to be people that maybe are washing their dishes and yeah, they, yeah. their their kids are doing homework. And, and, and to be, I mean, I mean, realistic about things, I actually had a hard time finding, it's not only the three and a half hours to see it. I mean, you know, there's a, there's that half hour leading of things. You know, it was going a whole to, day. It was, it was, I had, I had like jamming the timing was, was a bit of a nightmare. We got <laughs> up at nine o'clock and yeah. we got home at 8 p.m. Yeah. And so I'm glad to know that um, just in a couple of weeks, and, and again, the best way to see it is on the big screen, of course. Yeah. And but like, I'm glad to know that people are going to get to see this great movie in a couple of weeks, and that's cool. And that's cool in some ways. And Look, I know you know it's life is you know it's it's challenging. We it's, watch Goodfellas at our house, and it's still a great film. Uh, yes, and there's you know there's there's the films that people want to have a chance in the theaters are being seen streaming right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that changes, but it's gonna. The only way it's gonna change is for, like, there, there's got to be some shock treatment about getting out to the theater. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It's exactly. not. It's not. I mean, it's not so much the studios. It's it's the, you know, it's us. So. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We've yeah. Get we out we push for these when they're available. Exactly. Um, let me ask you about another kind of controversial thing. I mean, it's and it's this is. It's weird how this got tied in with kind of all the press for the Irishman, but I mean, um, Marty had a couple things to say about uh, comic right. book movies, and I'm a comic book movie fan. Yeah. I'm, 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 I love, I love, I love art house movies yeah. as much as, as someone can, but I also, I, I, I love the Marvel universe. I'm, yeah. the whole thing, and I definitely um, uh, get what he's trying to say. I think, yeah. but I also. You know, I have some problems. I was curious. Did yeah. you have a take on what what he said? I'm glad he was able to write that piece. I think it was at the Times, yeah, where he kind of explained what he said because his soundbite was kind of taken out. But his uh, article was much more informative. Than that's what I'm hearing saying. A third person, and, and I love that he took the time to be like, "Wait, can I explain myself?" Because I mean, what he is, and anyone who's a cinephile like you and I are, um, or who work in the business, I mean, we love cinema. We want that art form that he mentions is equal to literature, to music, to dance, like cinema, like true cinema. I think that he's saying something larger and people are hearing something, something smaller. smaller. Wow, well said. So yeah. he's trying to say that the that Marvel movies and, you know, I think he just chose Marvel. I don't yeah, really yeah. think that was It his, was the easy. It was the easy. But he's yeah. trying to say that movies that are franchise films, they play on 15 screens for mm-hmm. three months and it becomes harder for a... F- Other art tours to have two or three weeks. I mean, the lighthouse. I had to like hustle. Mm -hmm. I I was you know going to see it, and then when I looked up on Fandango, it was going to be out of my theater that weekend. Yeah, so I had to like. I was actually impressed that the lighthouse was lasting um, in theaters around here and still playing in a bunch. I'm I'm glad that's that's going to be the next episode. uh, Just so you know, welcome to the party, pal. We're going to talk about the lighthouse uh, in art house. Black and white film. It's it's it's. I'm excited to talk about Absolutely. that. You're going to join us again, right, Mitch? Yes, yeah. I will. Um, but I mean, I, I I think it's easy to look at what he was saying and almost. Um, you're right. See that small side things because I was getting all offended because I I thought he was. Um, and he does sometimes talk about um, the story a little bit. How you know he was kind of saying how. He films used to be um, in his day, you know, a revelation of uh, aesthetic, uh, emotionally and spiritual revelation, which I get cinemas. But then he talked about characters, how it used to be the complexity of uh, people and their contradictory and sometimes paradoxical nature and the way they can hurt one another and, uh, you know, love one another and suddenly come face to face with themselves. I actually think when he went to character, I started to get a little like. I don't know. I put a little wall up because I just I think that happens 
in a lot of these films. I mean, I think yeah. I think the hero, hero's journey, which is depicted in a lot of these these films, is so classic. I mean, maybe more classic than than a gangster movie. I mean, not to yeah. I'm not trying to you know. I but can't I mean, uh, unfortunately. I can't speak so much about Marvel because I yeah I do not you don't, don't you don't have MCU yeah. So, you but know, I mean I mean but not beyond Marvel. I mean a lot of. Um, a lot of the stories that are, that are comic book films. So I was relating it to me. Tales of misfits, tales of, yeah. of just outsiders who don't fit in. There's there's inspiring yeah. heroes. There's there's a lot there, but I, that's not what he was saying. I don't think yeah. so. I think he. I I think when it's like when I'm with my buddy and I'm trying to make an argument and I say. I say something that is has nothing to do with my larger argument, yeah. and that's all. That's you know, all people are straw man up, type stuff. Yeah, yeah all yeah. people are hearing is that he doesn't like Marvel films. Yeah. and that he doesn't think <laughs> yeah. they're cinema. And he's trying to say something he has about not seen that the they're Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, you know, like they're like. <laughs> so even Kevin Page, you know, he, he was like, "Oh, I think in Captain America we did all these things." It's like he hasn't seen those movies. Yeah. To, you know, you don't have. He's not. You don't have to defend your films. Yep, and. You know, I think he could have chosen a different path to yeah. getting his point across. But look, can't somebody that's made as many films as him have a have a point of view? And especially when he's defending cinema at the end of the day, I don't. Yeah. I don't think he was. You know, I think it's always a turn off when you try to tear something down to build another thing up. And yeah. I think that's what people are reading into. Because I mean, he of all people knows how hard it is to make a film. How many talented people? are working on these spectacles of films. He's just trying to be a champion of cinema, of the small artist. Yeah. Like, he even ends the article about saying it. Like, he, I think he's picturing a young Marty and, like, how tough it would be to be breaking into this world trying yeah. to make some of the stories that he made that are so special. So I think that's the takeaway. It's a, it's a fascinating thing, though. He, I, I, just, I think listen to what he's saying yeah. and with, a, with an objective point of view, and you might... You might hear it, you know. Yeah. But uh, like I said, we've got to see these movies he's talking about, or yep. else they're not going to get. It. Absolutely, yeah, it's on us. I really yeah. like that take. So, um, all in all, let's uh, let's let's close this talk down about the Irishman. I loved it. You know what? I hope Martin and the gang make more of movies for sure. But this one, to me, um, it felt. And I might be reading it to a little bit, but it felt like a nice little victory lap. It felt like the team back together, making yeah. making the making the magic they've made many times. And like I, I want more of that. But uh, yeah. but it, but but that was so good to see. And I I still just felt it was so fascinating that like it was it was a story about the struggle of loyalty and remaining loyal in in a brutal world. And and just I don't know. It made me think about a whole lot of things. And and it's um, it's it's it took viewers through the kind of the decline of a human's life and made them question the actions of, 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 you know, these kind of self-serving consciousless men. It was, it was a fascinating tale. Yeah. This was the requiem of this, you know, uh, gangster genre. And he finished it off with an amazing film that I really need to see a number of more times to be able to, you know, we might have to have a, a second one five Let's years from now or something. Absolutely. And really revisit it because there's so many things that are sitting in that film that we haven't discovered yet. 100%. We're both walking away after one viewing and we're yeah. talking, you know, three hours and 40 um, minutes of, of brilliant cinema. But I think, you know, if you're someone who was offended by what he said, have an objective mind and see this film. And yeah. you might see the film and be like, well... I get it. <laughs> I, I get it. I need more, and, and I need more of that. Yeah. So that's awesome. Like I said, um, me and Mitch are going to be back for another episode soon. We're going to do the lighthouse and uh, that's it for now. That's, um, that's the Irishman. And thank you for joining the party. And now here's the trailer for the new Osiris series after midnight. You're like, with your friends, they're sleeping over, like, we're going to stay up all night. And then, remember, like, if you're a little kid, you're kind of like, well, you can't stay up all night. It's impossible. We're going to go now to the big Cypress Seminole Indian Reservation in Florida. There was the biggest traffic jam that we know of in the country. Thousands of people from all across the country, all headed to the Everglades to hear the group fish perform for New Year's. 75,000 people. 75,000 people. And we couldn't really believe that... They were going to play all night. It just didn't even seem possible. Like, how could that even happen? 
It happened because for the previous 15 years, the band Fish blazed a fearless and unlikely creative path from deepest Vermont to the Florida Everglades and one of the most legendary performances of all time. It was the year of Woodstock 99. The crowds are blowing up CO2 tanks from the tractor trailers. They got the troops in there with riot gear. They're forcing everybody out. Mass chaos. Mass chaos. Some 20,000 attended the first Coachella that October. The Backstreet Boys ruled MTV. Moby topped the music critics' polls and licensed every song on his new album for commercial use. Far, far away from everything, everybody, and everywhere, in Jack Motlow's cow pasture on the seminal Big Cypress Reservation in Florida, with no sponsorship at all, Fish built a city for 75,000 people, erected surrealistic art installations, and staged a three-day festival with one act and one act only on the bill, and then played a seven-hour-long set that lasted from the final minutes of the 20th century into the literal dawn of the 21st. After midnight, Fish's Big Cypress Festival, a new five-episode podcast from Osiris, is the story of how Fish staged one of the strangest concerts in the history of rock music. My name is Jesse Jarno. Join us as we explore how Fish invented their own telepathic, jam-obsessed musical language, built an independent concert industry, and how both came together in the Florida Everglades for an improvisation-filled performance that landed a 15-foot-long hot dog with headlights in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll hear from band members Trey Anastasio. You know, I think we felt like this party was for our friends. And John Fishman. That was the end of a chapter of Fish's life, that and, and my life. Former Fish manager John Paluska and others will tell the dramatic, untold story of Fish at Big Cypress. We had to get some alligator wrangler to pull an 11-foot alligator out of the backstage area. That was interesting. <laughs> uh, that was a big alligator. We'll refill the swamp and revisit a legendary independent festival that came to transform the music industry despite being ignored by the mainstream. Fish found someplace better and left behind a map to Big Cypress. After Midnight debuts November 14th on all podcast platforms. Visit OsirisPod.com slash After Midnight to subscribe today. If you're out there on the highways, if you're within the sound of our voice, you're near to Big Cypress, Florida. 